Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. Our guest today, Ian Happ, an outfielder with the Chicago Cubs, drafted originally in 2015, ninth overall. Uh, he broke into the bigs in 2017, has been progressing ever since. He's an outstanding individual, really has a, a great pulse on the mental side of the game. We talk about, you know, what is, what is success as a baseball player and just the failure rate and how you deal with that. Uh, totally curious on how he's a switch hitter, something that I always wish I was in, in my young baseball career that, you know, didn't go very far, but that's besides the point. So anyway, let's get to our guest today, Ian Happ. Let's do this. Ian Happ, what's up, man? Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. Thanks for uh, for jamming today. First Chicago fellow pro uh, Chicago sport athlete. I haven't had a Chicago Cub on yet, but this is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel good about being the first uh, fellow professional athlete from Chicago. I was always jealous. I had a youth coach growing up who played for the New York Islanders. Dennis Vasky was his name, and he'd always talk about how he was like boys with all the Yankees and stuff. And I was like, man, that would be sick someday, like have cross-sport athletes so we could go to dinner with, talk, you know, shoot the shit with and, and kind of get some lay of the land, but let's do it. I was, uh, I was actually hanging out with, um, I was hanging out with Chelios. Legend. And we were, yeah, legend. And we were playing golf together, um, with Rizzo and he was telling stories about, you know, when he was with the Hawks and about hanging out with Rodman, hanging out with all the guys. And I'm like, why don't we do that? Like, Chicago athletes from other sports, like I don't really know anybody from the other sports. No. Like we don't really hang out with each other all that much. And I wish we did because just listening to Chelly's stories, I was like, this sounds unbelievable, the type of stuff they were doing. Well, first off, Chelios is a legend. Um, I read his book back before I was a Toronto Marley trying to make it uh, as a Maple Leaf playing in the minors in the playoffs. And I just read his book and he's telling this like legendary story about how you know, he'd play hard every single night, you know, but in particular in the playoffs, he would take it up a notch. And this was timely because I was just going through the playoffs. And he was telling the story where he's like, I always play guys honest, but in the playoffs, it was whatever it took. And he was telling stories about how he'd like try to break Wayne Gretzky's hands and in, in playoff series and things like that. And I was like, I need that. I need that kind of bite in my game. And <laughs> I remember like trying to be that, you know, I don't know if dirty is a word, but uh, that crafty to find a win. And He's a legend, man. Like he would, you know, be out at the bars till whatever time he needed to and bike in the sauna the next day and be ready to play by 7 p.m. and go out and have, you know, goal to assist and go do it again. Yeah. Played until he was like 46, right? Yeah. Yeah. He played 20, he played 26 years. This absolute legend and the nicest dude in the world. Yeah. He's, he's salt of the earth. And he went to uh, the same high school as my dad. Actually went to Mount Carmel. I think it was. Um, I get some stories from him. Our trainer here with the New Jersey Devils, uh, Frosty, was with uh, Detroit at the time when Chelios was there. So we get some old school Chris Chelios stories, and those are the best. Legend in, for American for American Demon. Not a big guy either. Like no, I don't know how he played during. Like he would be great during the era now because the game's so much more craftier, and 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 I think that just the skating so much more important. The things that he was really good at. But like he played in a league where the defensemen back then were monsters. Like they were 
they had to be 6'2". I don't know how he did it. Because there's no way he was over a buck 85 when he played. No, he's still ripped up, but he's not big. Did you, did you ever run into his son, Jake Chelios? I trained a bit with him in the summer uh, with Ian Mack, and, and we're over at Phenomenal um, Fitness, training with the Tomahawk Science is the name. And his, his kid skates with us a lot. Have you ever run into him? No, I've never met him. Just, uh, just Chelly a couple of times. So who, who else, uh, who else on the Cubs? Like, who are we going to start our Chicago, uh, pro athlete, you know, conglomerate with you? Who, who are some of your buddies on the, who are you tightest with on the Cubs? Uh, you know, probably Riz. Um, yeah, he seems like a good dude. Yeah. Rizzo and I have gotten really close and, um, you know, play a lot of golf together and, and get a chance to hang out a lot together off the field. Um, you know, Lester took me under his wing early on, so I've yeah, been really fortunate to kind of learn a lot from him. And, um, you know, obviously he's been around for, for a long time and had such a great career. So just to be able to pick his brain and, um, you know, hopefully we have him back at some point next year. Well, let's, so let's start there today because I, I do, as much as I'd love to party and golf together, I am super curious where, you know, I think there's a lot to learn from other sports. I think there's things that are super normal in hockey that may be abnormal in baseball. And there's super things that are normal in baseball that are, you know, abnormal in hockey. Um, when it comes to being a big leaguer and you think back to your development, when you first really broke in in 2017, what part of your game, you know, as a player in person, are you really trying to grow uh, day in, day out? So when, when John Lester takes you under his wing, like what is he, trying to teach you as a young player, you know, in the bigs? Yeah, I think, well, the, the biggest thing, like, that you learn from the old guys is, is how to be a good teammate. You know, the guys that have been around and been around winning, uh, and we had a lot of that. You know, we had a lot of guys who had some experience winning championships, being to a lot of postseasons, um, and you just learn how to be a really good teammate. They teach you either by telling you or by showing you um, the type of things to do and the way to treat people. And I think that that kind of was the biggest thing that I took from those veteran guys that we had was whether it's um, coming up to a guy and, you know, and you don't get to implement it right away. Like when you're your first couple years in the league, you just have to listen. Like you have to do a ton of listening and you see the kind of guys that they don't give the time of day to, and they don't want to talk to um, because maybe they're, not being respectful of the older guys or what have you. But I think good teams, they have that veteran leadership that really makes um, the young guys play harder and the young guys work uh, the right way. Um, and that was just something I, I took from those guys. And I really tried hard um, as a young guy not to take for granted who I was playing with. Like these are guys that I had their baseball cards when I was a kid, you know, and you get to play with your baseball cards. It's like the craziest uh, experience. And at 22, when I got called up, it's like you're playing with dudes who were, you know, John Lackey was 38 at the time and Ben Zobris was, I think, 36 and, and Lester was you know, 32, 33 then. And it's like these dudes, they've been around for a long time and have a lot of experience and just try to pick their brain for every little morsel that they have. Yeah, it's pretty cool when you go from like one day playing video games on create a player you know, it's all of a sudden you're, you know, lacing them up with, you know, some of your dream athletes, you know, when you're growing up. Um, when you say be a good teammate, 
Like, what does that mean in baseball? Because I can think about what it means in hockey. And I think hockey in particular, that's really such a non-negotiable because the hockey is such a team sport. And I did play baseball growing up, you know, until I was uh, 15. So I have a decent pulse on, on sport. It is more individual, right? It is kind of just you up there one at a time, you know, facing the pitcher. Um, in hockey, like if, if your centerman's out of position, like you're going to let them hear about it because you're going to get smoked. And, and those issues are handled real quickly and oftentimes in a yelling manner or even, you know, I've had physical altercations with teammates. Like it's handled. You're going to be a good teammate or it's going to be talked about. You know, what's that conversation like in baseball? Yeah, it's, I think it's just so much different in baseball because it's so individual. And there's really no time in the sport where your performance is directly impacting a teammate. Like, you're not leaving teammates out to dry very often. Like, hit and run maybe, or if a guy makes an error behind a pitcher, yeah, you're leaving him out to dry, but at the same time, that run's not on the pitcher anymore. You know, you made the error, so it's an unearned run. And I think that one of the things from the old school guys that we learned was like John Lackey would light you up on the field. He would look at you. He'd stare through your soul. Yeah. He would give you a, what the fuck are you doing out there? But that doesn't happen anymore. And there's a lot of reasons why. And, you know, one is maybe a sensitivity or not trying to show up your teammates. Everything is on social media now, as soon as it happens. So if you show your teammate up on the field, now it's a discussion point. It's a topic in the media. Everybody's going to get asked the question and you want to handle some of those things in the clubhouse behind closed doors. So you know, I, I think what makes a great teammate is communication, um, showing a lot of love and, and, and lifting up your teammates at all times, I think yeah. is really important so that when you do have those issues, when you do have something that you didn't appreciate or you didn't like that you can come to them and your teammate will know that you've had their back the entire year. This is one thing that, that you think should be changed or that you think can be improved upon. And then after the conversation is over, um, you're going to go right back to lifting that guy up and, and trying to pump him up on a daily basis. I think that's really important. And um, kind of one of the things that I've learned from, from some of the teammates in the past, uh, how to handle things quietly, how to handle things behind closed doors, because showing guys up in front of everybody else and embarrassing them in baseball um, just from my experience, generally isn't a great practice. Well, especially as a Chicago Cub, like it's a big market. There's nowhere to hide on that field. Like anything you do is going to be read into uh, and discussed immediately, no? Yeah, yeah, right away. And, you know, playing in a big market in Chicago, you know, some of that stuff um, gets blown up a little bit. But, yeah, anything you do on the field that any altercation you had in the dugout or on the field or, um, you know, you get asked questions about, and especially if you're, a younger guy and you were ever to show up a, an older teammate or to uh, get on somebody that it's just like, it can't happen because the backlash you'd get from it um, would, would be ridiculous. Yeah. I think hockey had that, you know, real reverence for veteran players, you know, up until, and, and we still do like, we still revere our vets and, and really respect our older players, but there's definitely been a shift to, you know, there's a lot more younger stars in the league. Uh, guys are having more success younger in our game. Contractually, you know, a lot of GMs and teams are, you know, kind of going younger earlier. That wasn't something necessarily you saw when I even first broke in the league. My first year was 2013, 2014. Um, but I still think baseball has a little bit more of that 
sense of tradition than than hockey used to. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think baseball is changing in the same way. And veterans are getting uh, weeded out younger. Um, Teams aren't paying guys over the age of, you know, 32, 33 much anymore. Um, You know, the analytics in the game has kind and the speed of the game has kind of um, made front offices not want to invest in older players or give the length of contract they used to. So there's just less veteran guys on the team. And I think... Uh, you do have so many young stars and you have guys having so much success at, you know, 20, 21 years old that um, there is a little bit of a shift. But I think that you're right. And baseball has a ridiculous amount of respect for the guys that have been around for a long time. And I think that cultivating that and, and like keeping it um, is, is something that's important for the game moving forward. Yeah, I like that. So when you, because now that we share that as, as, you know, both a hockey player and a baseball player, when I th- hear and see GMs acting this way, like the number one thing that I think in my mind is, okay, clearly speed and, and exuberance and energy and youth is an asset. And as a player, I can't necessarily control that my age is like, I'm going to get older by the day. That's human nature. But I'm trying to look under every rock on at, at everything I can do training wise, eating wise. Uh, and this is kind of the culture in hockey. Like there's a heavy sense of investment in our career where guys, you know, really take a majority of their earnings and throw it back into ice time, nutrition, strength coaches. Uh, our, our sports is so competitive that way as a baseball player. Like how are you competing to add longevity in the back end of your career whenever that comes? Yeah, I think, um, Nutrition's huge for me. Uh, one of the first things that I did um, after making it to the big leagues was uh, just a couple of my teammates, um, Dexter Fowler and Tommy LaStella. Uh, I never played with Dex, but um, he he was gone that year and, and talked to him in the offseason. He was like, get yourself a chef in the offseason. He was like, it's the number one best thing you can do. Get a chef and make sure that your meals are portioned out right. Make sure that you're eating clean. Um and it was huge for me. It was huge for me from a nutrition standpoint, from portion, uh, time, gave me a lot more time to be able to do some stuff. And, um, you know, that was the first big investment I made into my body. Uh, you know, I had a, a outside trainer, um, from the time I was drafted, um, who, who has been great, but then finding new ways to train, you know, exploring yoga, exploring mindfulness and meditation, really investing in that, investing in, um, not just my body, but my mind and like really focusing and diving in on that. And, um, I think it's a huge part of it. I think it's, it's something that separates you. And I think at the same time, you know, you have to be uh, so diligent with your body because the number one thing that's going to limit guys' careers in any sport is injury. And the more that you can prevent injury and be on the field or on the ice, like that's number one. Yeah. The easiest way to play poorly, I always, you know, said to myself was to be injured or sick. And the best, you know, antidotes to that are, you know, good nutrition. If I can sleep a lot, even better, you know, it's hard sometimes with the travel. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, when I think of the energy demands, like uh, one of the things that I didn't know about baseball until it was kind of explained to me was how long you guys are at the ballpark preparing, like the the amount of video work. You guys are there all day. Yeah. Like for a seven o'clock game, you get there in a normal year between, you know, 12 and two, depending on what you got, if you're working out that day or if, but yeah, I mean, you could you could be at the ballpark from 12 to 12. Like, that's 
you know, you're probably doing that once or twice a week. Um, and so, you know, days get long, travel gets long and you're doing it every day. You guys play 81 games, right? 82, 82, 82 games. Yeah. And so, you know, we play 162 and it's unfathomable. Yeah. You, how the much demands on your body me. on a daily basis are, you know, far more than what we're going through. You're beating the shit out of each other, but, um, you know, just, you're doing it every day and it's like groundhog day. You know, you wake up and do the same shit every single day and eventually you get to a point where it's like you wake up at August 6th and you're like, Oh fuck. But do it. There's a hundred and one times, 110 times we've done this already. Got to do it. 40 you still more got times. 50, 60 to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 162. So what are some, what are some things you'll do mid season for the mental side of the game? Cause that's one of the things, if I can learn one thing from you today, if I can steal one thing, like, I think if I can talk mental game with tennis players, baseball players, and golfers, like those guys know. Those guys know the rate of failure. Those guys know what pressure feels like. Those guys, because it's such an individual sport, um, just the rate of failure, you know, particularly in baseball, you know, the old adage, if you fail seven times out of 10, you're a Hall of Famer. Like, God, that's a lot of misses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I I think the... um you know, the biggest thing for me for for the mental side has been defining success um and you and in baseball it's so important to reshape what success looks like because hitting the ball hard is success you know drawing a walk is success um you can do everything right in baseball and still get out so it's just constantly reframing it in your mind and figuring out like all right what was a successful at bat and you're going to have to do it five times every day. So, um, you know, if you have your first two at bats and you feel like shit, uh, you have to try to reframe it in your head and figure out a way to get through the last three and, and find some positives. So I think reframing success is a big one and how you define it. Um, but what I do, I, I meditate a lot. I have a meditation practice. I started in, um, 2015 and that came about because my dad, passed away from brain cancer in 2015 when I was, um, right after I got drafted. So I needed something to, to get through that. Like I needed a way to separate baseball and what was happening in my life and to really dive into, uh, my mental, um, health. And so I started meditating a lot. Um, that's been a practice I've carried with me. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I read some some mental baseball books, like the Mental Keys to Hitting when I was younger. Um, that was introduced to me from uh, Sean Casey, former 13-year big leaguer, um, who grew up in my same hometown. So that's been a big one. And then it's just like being able to be honest with yourself and talk about um, the struggles, talk about how hard baseball is, talk to your teammates, and then find some people around you um, that it's okay to express um when you're, when you're feeling uncomfortable and you're feeling not confident, because I think one of the biggest things is like when the confident guy goes to the ballpark, like he's an all-star, like confident dude can't be beat. He's awesome. Yeah. He's a great player. Not confident. Ian Happ sucks. Like he stinks. If you're, if you go to the ballpark and you're not confident, like that guy can't win, he can't play. And as soon as, as soon as you step into the ballpark or the batter's box or whatever, without confidence, uh, you've already lost. And, and so just kind of trying to cultivate that and really make sure that you're defining success the right way and you're, and you're figuring out a way to get yourself confident 162 times out of the year, give yourself the best chance to succeed. I'm really sorry about your dad. Um, 
you know, first off, got to say that. I think, you know, I relate to that where, you know, my dad is, you know, a big part of my career. When I think back, I get this question a lot when I'm on podcasts, you know, who were, you know, sort of who's responsible for my career. You know, my mom and dad are one and two. You know, I've had some key coaches growing up. Um, you know, what's that been like carrying that through your career? And, and you can talk too about, you know, who else has been influential on you in, in a positive way and, and, you know, ever since. But I, uh, I feel it for you, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was obviously difficult. I went through, uh, my sophomore year, sophomore summers, like summer ball and baseball is a big thing. Um, in my sophomore summer, uh, I was headed to Cape Cod to play in the Cape Cod league and, and kind of a big deal was my second summer out there and you're going into your draft year. So, um, definitely from a performance standpoint, something that you want to go dominate. And, um, my dad got diagnosed when I was in the Cape that year. And uh, it was 18 months until he passed away. So I was going through my junior year, you know, draft year, trying to, I uh, had a, a hip, a sports hernia surgery and like trying to get through all that while he was at home and sick. And so um, he got to see me get drafted. You know, he got to see me take batting practice at Wrigley uh, right after I was drafted. Cool. So those were, you know, some really cool moments that I got to share with him. And, and you know, he was obviously a massive part of um me wanting to play baseball and and when I was younger you know pick me up from the school with a milk carton of baseballs like the crate of baseballs and and throw BP to me and um so yeah I think the hardest part for me was my first professional season not having him around to talk to him and call him and that's where a lot of the mindfulness came in and getting through that season playing in uh Myrtle Beach and and Knoxville Tennessee and everywhere in the Southern League in Alabama and um it was tough, but I just, I, I come, I just keep harping on, on mental health and, and what that has done for me and the freedom that it's given me to go out and, and be able to, um, as a, as a 21 year old, 22 year old who lost their father and, you know, the guy that they would call every day after a game and to be able to get through that. And, you know, obviously I leaned on my mom quite a bit. I leaned on my older brother, he's six years older, um, played division one baseball and has kind of been, you know, my, my baseball idol and mentor, uh, growing up. So leaned on him quite a bit and, you know, we got to live together after he passed. And, and that was obviously something that was a huge help for both of us, just being able to, to be together and, um, just get through everything, uh, side by side. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, taking care of your mental health as an athlete is something that it isn't talked about a lot, particularly in hockey. I think in baseball, there's an element there's a certain respect for the mental side of the game that I think just because of the rate of failure yeah. and, and how difficult it is to define success. Uh, but it's something, you know, very similar where, you know, earlier in my career mentally, I just had a hard time sorting through, you know, the different ups and downs of the game um, day in, day out. And I do find, you know, meditation, and that can look like a lot of things. Sometimes meditation is just you know, a a little cycle on the bike, getting a sweat. Mm -hmm. So you're able to shift, you know, emotionally. Sometimes, you know, it's seeing your mistake, you know, something I'll do after games, you know, uh, we used to have a sports psychologist at the U.S. development team teach us this. It was like, see, erase, replace, see your mistake, erase it and replace it. Maybe I'll just do that for 20 minutes. You know, now I've got, there's a gazillion apps. I use, you know, Headspace. Um, Sometimes I'll do the Wim Hof app and things like that. But I just, 
the mental shifting is so important. And usually whenever I'm most resistant to it is when I've got to sit down and I, I got, I got some work to do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely more widely accepted in, in baseball. Um, I know hitters accept it more and started to see, uh, both sides use it and, and it become a tool. Um, but you're right. Meditation can look like a lot of different things. You know, me going to the golf course, uh, in the middle of the season and, and using an off day to go play golf or I'm um, trying to play in the morning when I have a, a, a day off that night, like those, those things getting away, um, are important. And, and I think that one of the things that being a professional athlete, it's, it's supposed to be the best thing in the world. And it is like, it, it's the best job I could ever ask for, but there's a lot of abnormal mental challenges that, uh, are difficult to explain and difficult um, for people to relate to, but they exist. And, you know, they're, you're still a human being as much as you're sometimes treated like a zoo animal, you're still a human being. And the, the difficulties of, of traveling and being away from family and like a season like this, where you couldn't see your family for five, six months and you know, you're spitting in a tube every day and getting tested and making sure that you don't go out to the grocery store and, and get coughed on because then you can't play for two weeks. Like there's a lot of things that go into, um, the preparation and, and, and performing on a daily basis that they do, they grind on you. Yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, I think that's, this is such a great form of, of therapy really is in talking to another athlete. Cause I, I do feel that. And I think that, you know, the more, I guess, as athletes, we can show our work on this side of the game. I think the more it'll be accepted and, and brought into the light, so to speak. You know, I think that, you know, when I was growing up, for example, like I knew, like I needed to shoot 300 pucks a day if I wanted to be like the guys in the NHL. I knew I had to go out in the driveway and throw the rollerblades on and work on my stride. You know, but I'm not sure it was as open in the, in the documentaries or the YouTube videos I would watch, you know, some of these practices that, you know, we're done in the dark, we're done, you know, away from the lights and that kind of thing. And I think that, you know, the more as modern day athletes that we can show our work and just how effective some of these practices can be for our performance, I think it'll continue to popularize in a way that really serves the next generation. I thought I thought it was really cool to see um, in the last dance the work that um, Phil Jackson did with their team and like yes. the, the way that he was so focused on um, the mental side of their game and uh, I thought that was just just really cool to see that that was happening um, with with one of the greatest teams of all time and Joe Madden who was my first manager um, he had such a um, respect for the mental side of the game and what it took mentally. And he was open and he would talk about it. And he wasn't one of those like gritty dudes who was like, well, fuck, you're a wimp. If you, you know, if you need a break or you're mentally tired or, you know, he wasn't like that. He, he understood the mental part of it. He would you know, have you in his office to talk about, you know, life, like what's going on in your life, not baseball. You know, I know you struck out 20 times in a row, but what's going on in your life? Like, let's not talk about your swing. Let's talk about, something else that's happening that's causing this because a lot of times as an athlete like poor performance isn't because you haven't put in the work it's not because you don't care it's not because you're not trying really hard you know it's probably because something's clouding your mind in a different way that's not letting you be as free or as natural uh as you would normally be uh 
in your sport. Yeah, that was one of the things I took away too. I was talking about with James Van Riemsdyk, who was a teammate of mine with the Maple Leafs, a U.S. Olympian and, you know, 40 goal scorer in the National Hockey League forever. He's, he's a stud. And we were talking about the same thing where, you know, as players, we all watched that Last Dance documentary and there were two, you know, one thing I took from Jordan for sure was the power of story. This guy would make up any story. Like, you know, there's a story going on inside your head. Yeah. So you might as well choose the one that fuels you the best for your biggest and baddest performance. Like yep. he didn't care what lie or what detail he needed to tell himself to motivate himself. He would. And that was, you know, they used to say like uh, in some of my sports psych trainings and, and different things where, you know, the your your mind is, is like the TV. And if you're f- experiencing a thought that you don't want, just like turn the channel and that. Okay, that kind of never really stuck with me until I really saw it with Jordan. I was like, oh, this guy puts whatever he wants on his TV, like whatever needs to fire him up. And then I loved I loved Steve Kerr and just how it was a depth guy, like the amount of work that needed to go into that one big shot he was going to hit in the playoff series. But that was the last thing I was talking about with uh, JVR was like, maybe you've had, you're lucky. Joe Madden is, you know, kind of a legend in baseball. You yeah. know, I, I haven't, uh, I can't say I've had a coach that really, has any similarities to a Phil Jackson yet in hockey where that sort of open-mindedness and fostering of flow state, you know, and, and sort of emotional, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess where you're, you're totally integrated, you know, was, was Phil Jackson's approach. And yeah, I, we were talking about it. We don't understand necessarily why, like, here's a, here's a coach with so much success in a sport that is similar to hockey. Like it's, it's a star driven league. There's 82 games. You know, there's some elements that are of course, super different, but a lot are similar. I thought the same thing, like what a leader and he would be as creative as it took to get to each individual, you know, to bring together the team. It was impressive. Who else, uh, after Joe Madden, who, who's your manager now? It's Ross, right? David Ross. Yeah. How's he? Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I'd imagine so. He seemed awesome. I've seen some videos when he was playing and he just, some guys get it, whatever that means, it, he seems to get it. Yeah. He's one of those dudes that he is so fresh out of being a player and played with our guys. And I never played with him, but I knew him as a friend. Um, And to have that as your manager and somebody you really feel comfortable, like you can talk to, you really feel like um, he'll shoot you straight when you go in. Uh, I just, I love that. I think it was huge for me this year. Uh, he gave me a chance to to play every day and, and really had great, clear communication with me, um, which was something that, that in my career, uh, I just know that for myself personally as a player, like I really need clear direction. And, and you know, in, in our sport, you got, you know, you have nine spots on the field now that we have a DH and, and there's only so many opportunities. And, and being, you know, there's not, not everybody's going to get all the at-bats, but it's, you know, your goal is always to be an everyday player. And as a young player, when you can't play every day and, and you don't get a chance to to learn in the big leagues and, and really improve your skill set in the big leagues, it's tough. Like, it's really difficult to play every third day and not be in a rhythm. And and so, um, you know, that, that clear communication, really understanding your role. And, and um, Rossi gave me that. And, and I just, I respect the hell out of him as a, as a coach and a manager. Yeah, I think honesty and direction is all you ever want out of your leadership. You know, help me, help me help you. How, what do you think as a manager that, you know, is best for the club and, and how can I bring it every day? Um, 
when you think back to, you know, your pro career, still young, I'm sure you want to play forever like I do. When you reflect back on some of your highest highs, what what is your favorite memory as a Chicago Cup thus far? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, my favorite memory from a from a team perspective, um, actually I didn't even play in the game, but uh, my my first year in seventeen, we we went to the playoffs and um, we had a five game series with the Nationals um, for the the NLDS, and we we went to Game Five and and we're in um, Washington playing, and I was you know, everybody was getting in the game because it was this back and forth game. We were up like one run or two runs kind of for the last three innings. So everybody's getting in the game. There's pinch hitters, guys are moving around and I'm just in the cage under just hitting just bang, bang, bang. Like Run up to the top step, like watch a half inning, like get down there, like stay loose. And I was literally the only position player that didn't get in the game. Maybe like we had a backup catcher left, but I was like the only guy. So I'm like watching like, Oh fuck, what's going to happen. And our closer at the time, Wade Davis, who was an absolute mental badass, just an assassin out there. Um, he went, I think two and a third or two and two thirds and closed the game. And this, the most dominant pitching performance I've ever seen. It was gritty. It was ridiculous. And he finished the game. We won. And he did this crazy seal clap on the mound. Like, dude never showed emotion. And we, so we partied all that night, you know, pop champagne, cigars in the clubhouse. My family was there. Um, and it was the first, you know, my first playoff series went. And just this unbelievable night. Then we get on a plane and we fly five hours uh, to L.A. to play the NLCS. But that was, like, the highlight so far of my baseball career was just winning that series. Like, all my teammates getting to celebrate with them, getting to enjoy that moment. Um, just super, super special. Would you say position, because you said about the closer being a mental assassin, like, would you say positionally there are sort of different demeanors in baseball? Because I would say definitely in, in hockey, like you kind of have, like I play with Mitch Marner, who's this, you know, energizer bunny, scoring winger. He, he's always bouncing off the walls. He never fatigues. It's just, he's, he's real light and bubbly. It's who he is. You know, some of these goalies are, there's an old adage that these guys are a little different cat and, and I've yet to meet one that isn't, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it clearly holds true. Um, what are like some of the different mental makeups of the different position players in baseball? Yeah. And it's very different across the board. Like you have your, you have your starting pitchers, like your bulldog starting pitchers, like top of the rotation dude who gets laser focused. Um, won't talk to anybody for the day starting like, and you know, he's going to go out and he's going to throw a hundred to 120 pitches going to go seven innings he's going to shove it up somebody's ass and he's an absolute psycho with day pitches and then you have like <laughs> yeah and then you have like your you have like your starting pitcher who's kind of like down the rotation a little bit more kind of just goes out like wants to talk to everybody he's having a good time you know he'll you know he'll give you seven innings he'll he'll do it and then you have like your left-handed pitchers who are usually like left-handed relievers a little quirky little quirky guys you never know what you're going to get from them uh you have your like back into the bullpen closer guy, that guy's usually a tick off, usually a little bit of a, of a psycho, like will kill someone. You just don't know how many people he's killed. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then position players, it really runs the gamut. Like position players, you go from, you know, dudes that 
like Wilson Contreras, ton of emotion, like wears it on his sleeve to guys that are, you know, really relaxed and, and play kind of the most even keel. Um, but pitchers are the ones that you can kind of throw them into buckets. So what's your makeup when you're at your best? Because I've, I've tried to spend a lot of time thinking about this and I've had to evolve differently over the years based on my role, you know, my on special teams, you know, like, for example, when I, I, you know, haven't really stuck on an NHL power play, I've had some time, you know, particularly as a Leaf, there was probably, you know, maybe 10, 15 games where I was running the power play. And you just, there's a moxie that sets in. There's a, there's a flow, your, your puck time, you're touching it all the time. You're, 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 you're totally feeling it. And then, you know, there's been other times where I'm a little bit more down the lineup and, and maybe you're more of an energy guy and, and you're sitting on the bench and you're that guy on your fourth or fifth Red Bull in the second period and you're just, you know, chomping at the bit to get your next shift. And, um, you know, so I, I've, I've wavered at times, but I have an idea now at this point in my career what, you know, Connor Carrick's best hockey, you know, what that feels like, what that looks like mentally. What's Ian Hab's best ball look like? I You know, I try to be really... Even I try to be, um, I'm not excitable. I don't celebrate much. Uh, it was just the way that I was raised playing the game. Like my dad always really harped on not cheering when the other team made an error, you know, not showing a ton of emotion, uh, and showing up an opponent, uh, being very respectful of the guy across the field, hating the person across the field and wanting to dominate them, but in like the most quiet and respectful way. And so that was kind of like how I grew up. And, you know, I've always just kind of carried that demeanor and kind of the, when I came up in Chicago, the joke or the, the, the thing that caught on in the media was that I don't smile when I play. And it was like, this dude can't be having any fun. He has to hate baseball because he doesn't smile. And I love the game. Like I love the game, but I, I just, for me to be at my best, I know that it has to be like this really even, like no emotion. Like I'll get pissed. Like I'll, you know, I'll, I'll light it up in the dugout once in a while, but like, I really try to not show a ton of emotion and just kind of really keep it as even as possible. Cause I don't want my lows to get super low, but I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to ride the roller coaster. I want to really, um, just move on from bad things quickly and move on from good things quickly too and, and take the positives and and really I'm just I'm playing a a, a reel in my head quite a bit, you know, because it is like you said, there's so much failure and you're talking to yourself so constantly and trying to really flood your mind with all these positive thoughts. And um I think for me it's just really important to play on that on that even keel line and, and it's kind of what I've found works best for me. What's the difference in the self-talk like pre at bat, let's say, and when you're out in the field? And because you said it earlier where the, the bodily demands were different, but to be fair, like I, I, so hockey is definitely more of a sprinting game. There's a, there's a cardio element that's maybe not there in baseball. Uh, but I played baseball and like, I used to call it baseball tired. Like you just get achy and you're, yeah. you're, you're like mentally, you just get fuzzy after a long day. Um, you know, and it is a very different pulse. I, I had to play catcher because I had to be involved in every play. Like I couldn't, you know, play in the field at the time. Um, you know, plus I was just like a thicker, stockier dude that I, you know, could squat back there just fine. But what's your difference in, in self-talk between Ian Happ in the field and when you're at the plate? Yeah, for, I mean, the challenge for me is always after the at-bat. It's always post-at-bat. Like before the at-bat, like never had an issue, never once doubted my ability before in a bat, you know, like it doesn't matter what's happened that day. Like 
know my plan against the pitcher. Think I'm going to hit an absolute laser, absolute piss missile every time. Like, there's no doubt stepping up to the box. My routine is, is the same every time. I think that's one of the things in baseball, like, we're so routine-oriented. So, like, I could close my eyes right now and walk through what it looks like for me to put on my stuff, walk to the on-deck circle, what my routine is in the on-deck circle. I could walk up to the plate. I could tell you exactly what every step looks like when I walk up to the plate in between pitches. Like every single thing for us is so routine and so meticulous that that never changes ever. And mentally in between pitches, facing a hit or a pitcher never changes. After the result happens, you know, we're so process oriented, but then after the result happens, you know, you do something stupid, swing at a bad pitch, roll over a pitch you should have hit over your last 18. Then you walk out to center field and you have five to 10 minutes, 15 minutes out there. You might get a play. You might get two plays. Those might take five seconds out of the 10 minutes that are, are you know, that you're standing out there for. So you have all this time to just think about what happened. How did it happen? Why did it happen? What's going on? I'm over my last 80. This sucks. I'm not having fun. Like you have all of this time for all of these thoughts to flood in. And so that's um, when you really like, for me, I have to be on top of my self-talk. Like I have to be, I have to go through the, all right, what happened? Why did it happen? What are you going to do next time? Move on and try to stick to that. What's been a period in your life where you really had it going? Like what's been the hottest hot streak that you had and what was going so right at that time? Yeah. Uh, I've had a couple in the And this can go back even, even pre-base, like even pre-pro, you know, at college at Cincinnati, wherever. Yeah. I mean, I just think like in, like I, you know, I had a ton of success in college, but I was just, I was just more talent. I was just better. Like I, 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 I was at that point in my life, you know, you had, I was mentally really strong. I had learned a lot. I had played against some really good competition in summer baseball, and I had all this confidence, and I think that's the difference, right? Like, yeah, I'm six foot, 205, 210 pounds. Like, I'm not a physical specimen. I'm not, like, yeah, I have the ability of great hand-eye coordination, ability to hit a baseball, but, like, I'm not some athletic freak. Like, I'm a pretty normal-looking dude. You wouldn't look at me twice on the street. Um and so I just really had this this immense amount of confidence in college that I was that much better than everybody else and, and couldn't, you know, there was no chance that I wasn't going to succeed. And then you get, as you keep going up in levels and you start seeing guys that are you know, just as good as you are, and then you start having a little bit of failure and, and all that mixes into uh, shaking your confidence. And I think that's the number one thing that um, I had a really good stretch the end of 2019 and then um, 2020 was really good for me. And, and you just, when you have that confidence and it doesn't waver and you're always really have this belief in yourself, I think that that's kind of when I've been at my best is, is um, whether it's fake confidence, whether you're just telling yourself a lie to say, you know, maybe things aren't going good, but I feel really, I feel really good up there. Like I feel great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Swing feels good. Yeah, yeah. You've, 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 you know, grounded out 40 times in a row. Nah, but I feel good about them. Like they really feel good. They were hard ground outs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of the times in my career where, where, um, you kind of can't miss or, or, or the, the lows don't last as long. 
in my uh, very short-lived and untested uh, baseball career, I once had a shift put on me in a tournament, and I felt like the biggest badass ever because I'd never seen that done in a youth tournament. I was like, man, I must be hitting it well. Yeah, like um, you guys respect the shit out of me. Man, I, I felt so cool when they started throwing the shift. I was like 15 at the time, and they're throwing the shift. I couldn't believe it. Like Championship Sunday. Can't remember where we were playing. It was uh, it was down in Champaign, Illinois. There was a tournament. Um, yeah, that's a conversation for another time. So let's shift a little bit to to your interest outside uh, of baseball, because you said you know you will go and play golf. Uh, you launched you know uh, for charity quarantine coffee as you know COVID was setting in around Chicago and and you know still has its grip uh, going on in the city. You know at least when we left. Um, what are some hobbies and interests that you'll carry with you that get you through the long year? Um, and even in the off season, cause I know you guys have a, a pretty good size off season too. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I love, um, working with businesses. I, I love trying to, to use my platform to market and help grow brands, especially, uh, local Chicago based. Um, I, it's really interesting to me. Um, I was a finance major in school and I, you know, have a little bit of a business background, but. Um, it's just, it's a fascinating world to me and, and it's something I really enjoy doing. So, um, yeah, quarantine coffee has been a really fun, uh, venture. I've always been a huge coffee lover, but to be able to do something that helps give back to the community, um, and help, um, the, the roasters out of Bourbon A, uh, about 55 minutes south of the city. Yep. So, um, metric coffee, right? Uh, Connect Roasters is the name. Connect Roasters. Yeah, but Metric is also a Chicago company. Um, But to be able to help try to grow the business and and do something positive at the same time, uh, I think those, like, when when things line up like that for me, like those interests, it's a no-brainer. And I have so much fun doing it. That's how I spend a lot of my off-season is um, kind of trying to identify or work with with businesses that – you know, pique my interest, have uh, a connection with me and, and sport and, um, do that, you know, work out and then have some phone calls and go play golf. That's how I spend the off season. That's awesome. So when you talk about your training, like have you been working with the same guy or girl for a long time now? Yeah. I've been working with the same guy, uh, since 15, he's actually out of Columbus, Ohio, uh, where my mom is. Okay. Um, and, uh, just in, I guess it would have been 18, Cole Hamels came over, um, to the Cubs, uh, and he brought with him a trainer that does, uh, Agascu, so kind of like body posture, um, and, and resetting the body. Uh, and so I started working with him as well, which has been really awesome. Just, um, you know, for us and you guys too, it's just, you have, there's a part of your sport that's very rotational and for, and as a rotational yeah. athlete, um, you get some of these imbalances that are just ridiculous and like your body's, you're like a ski slope over here and you got pitchers that once and you're walking you know, in like this is a yeah. right shot. Yeah. Yeah. You got pitchers that one scap is in the middle of their back and the other one's you know, on top of their shoulder and I'm a switch hitter. So luckily I, I you know, swing right-handed and left-handed and, um, that helps balance me out. But I just, I got really into what hand, it. What hand do you golf? Right-handed. I always wish I was a left-handed golfer. That way I could go like undo all the right shot rotations and go play 36 guilt free, you know, but sometimes I'll have to check myself in the summer where it's like, I'm doing all this postural work. I'm doing all this myofascial stretching to like undo all these imbalances and then go take, you know, hopefully uh, 78 hacks out there, you know, uh, from the right side of the ball and, and go screw up my back again. It's just not worth it after all that work. Yeah. It, I mean, it is as a, like 
to somebody who does the same motion over and over and over again, the where your body gets to after 20 years of it is it's scary. How did you, um, cause I was always curious about that. How did you end up a switch hitter? And how have you ever particularly been through a slump on one side of the ball? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I started when I was eight, my brother who's six years older, um, he tried to do it. He's 14 at the time, tried to do it, didn't stick with it. Um, but made sure that I did. Uh, so I started working on a young age and, and, uh, freshman year of high school was kind of the first time I really just dove all in. I was like, all right, I'm not looking back. This is going to be it. Um, and yeah, slumps from one side are, are frequent. And I, for me, um, in the big leagues, it's been right-handed that I've struggled and you just don't get as many right-handed bats. There's not as many left-handed pitchers. Yeah. And so, um, you don't see that guy for three, four, 10 days. And then, uh, it's difficult to kind of put it all together and you know I keep telling myself that it's just I haven't had enough at bats in the big leagues from that side uh but there's still a lot of learning to do would you ever consider so say you're hitting lefty and you were hot like real hot but there was a left-handed pitcher come up would you ever stay on the left side I have thought about it for a couple like specific guys like a couple guys that the numbers say that left-handers hit them better and that I don't see them well righty, um, I've considered. I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it. But I'm, I was dangerously close to doing it towards the end of the season this year. I was talking, that's interesting you say that because about the numbers, because I was wondering about, I was talking to my financial advisor the one time who represents quite a few baseball guys. And one of the things that he was saying, like, so in hockey, uh, you know, guys will pay a lot for a skating coach, you know, or, or a skills coach, someone to go over their video. Uh, but he was talking about in baseball, like guys would hire their own analytics person or team. Is that something you've ever flirted with? Yeah, I've never flirted with it. Um, we have a pretty good staff with the Cubs. Uh, you know, our analytics in house is really good. We have one of the biggest front offices uh, from a analytics and um, from that side in in the league. So we get a lot of information. We have an unbelievable database online that I can access to see every pitch that's been thrown in the big league since like 2013. So wow. like we have, we have all of that in house. Um, so I've never really thought about going out and getting it myself. How much video work do you do? If you know you're, you're coming up on a particular pitcher on game day. Yeah. Um, quite a bit. I mean, my usual routine is like wake up, and probably, you know, have a coffee, 10, 11 a.m. I'm watching that pitcher and spending, um, you know, 20, 30 minutes looking at him and, and, and really diving in on him specifically, trying to watch his last start the way he pitched guys that are similar to me. Um, but before the series, you do some work on their bullpen, try to figure out what the key, who the key guys are. And it's different yeah. like, as you go through the year. The teams that you don't play all the time, they're kind of out of the division. I have to do a little bit more studying on them uh, as if you haven't seen them before. And then um, the guys that are in your division, you have a pretty good feel for and just kind of watch them again, make sure nothing's changed. Um, but you do, you do have to do um, a decent amount of work just to make sure that you're not missing anything and nothing's going to surprise you when you get out there. Yeah, because that's one of the things where I think of hockey just in terms of our process. Like guys, you know, obviously work hard. There's a lot of team video, but there's not really until you get to the playoffs, like in a, in a Stanley Cup playoff, you'll look at the other club and really look at the lines they'll be matching out against uh, and, and really dive into the player and what their tendencies are. You know, are they a guy that 
when a puck goes in a corner, are they when you go to try to hit them, are they going to reverse hit you and hit you first? You know, are they uh, you know going to try and swim under you? Maybe like a cutback move, like a you know, like a Brad Marchand in Boston's you know classic for that. Uh, but it was something that when I hear from football, like just how extensive the video is on on other guys' tendencies. When I hear the video in baseball, just how you know much work goes into on both sides. It's a cat and mouse. You know the pitchers are trying to figure out the hitters. The hitters are trying to figure out the pitchers. Like I have to think that if it's not already here, you know, I, I do some video on my own, but just culturally, I think that video is going to be one of the next big things in hockey because it is so matchup based. Like usually you'll have, you know, so the, the, like the couple different pairings you'll hear in hockey is, uh, okay, your, your top six forwards, you know, usually your more skilled guys, your, your scorers, uh, guys are a little bit more lethal, uh, your bottom six traditionally have been more physical, although that's changing in, in recent years, which I think makes the video even harder because now there's uh, scores that just haven't done at the NHL level yet, or maybe they're young, you know, so you might catch them on a hot night where they are feeling good about themselves. And that guy's, you know, super dangerous now. Uh, whereas before, you know, those third and fourth lines were just so consistent, the guys that would just chip pucks in and go to hit you, you know, so usually you'll have your top four DMM kind of try and match up against those, top, you know, opposition top six forwards. And then your bottom pair will kind of share, you know, the bottom two lines with the top four. And and I always thought, you know, if you can be more up to date on, on, you know, who's in the other team's lineup, like I do think that, I think that element's coming to hockey. It hasn't necessarily gotten there yet, you know, on, on a whole team level where that's the individual expectation night in, night out. But I got to think just because, you know, there is time for it. There's always time, you know, to watch video. Guys are on Netflix or doing whatever else on the plane. Like you can always be doing more video. Um, they could always hire somebody to do that too. I think that's like the one thing that we've seen in baseball in the last few years is that we have people that are hired um, to run the analytics and to, and to take the numbers. And like, you ha- you know, in a one, two count with a runner on second, what percentage of the time this guy throws a change up? Like we have that number. Like, are you going to use that? Well, yeah. I don't know, but we have the number. Like we have, you know, when you go into an at bat, when this guy gets to three, two with runners in scoring position, like if there's something, if there's an outlier, like if he throws 90% fastballs with runners on third and one out, you know it. So like, it, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that hockey, they would have a, you know, when this line's out there, you know, they're passing in this form, 70% of the time, or I think that some of those tendencies would probably jump on the page if, if you were looking for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think usually they'll equip the coaches. We have some analytics guys um, and, and, and coaches and video coaches that kind of all falls under one sort of role, I guess, but it's not really handed to the player on like a player on player basis. We used to have a scouting report that we'd kind of have with the Leafs, you know, Mike Babcock was our coach and he would kind of post, you know, players' tendencies, uh, big, strong, north-south player, you know, not a lot of, you know, nuance to his game uh, versus this guy, super crafty, will try you one-on-one, you know, likes to put pucks in your feet, that kind of thing. And I always thought that that should, you know, really be standard, at least that part of it, you know, across the league, but we'll see. Um, when uh, when we do get out in Chicago with Rizzo and, and some of the guys, and I'll grab some of the hockey guys that, you know, I train with, where's uh, some of your favorite restaurants in town? Where do you like to go eat? That's a good one. Uh, I love Bavette's. Big Bavette's fan. 
Um, you know, that's like the one big steakhouse I haven't been to. Everyone says they love Bavette's. Oh, it's awesome. I great. Just the atmosphere in there, like the downstairs, it's kind of speakeasy feel. Um, great food. Uh, love that place. Um, Valare, Italian spot. Okay. I've been there. Love Valare. That's um, over by, uh, where is that? I, I've walked by St- it, but I haven't been. It's in Streeterville. Kind of underneath the viaduct, right? Yep. Yeah, I know exactly where you're at. I, uh, I see a Cairo over there. Yeah, I know exactly that place is, that's my favorite Italian in the city. Um, I actually, RPM Seafood is a new one uh, that just went in on the water, and I ate there um, once uh, before the season started, and then had it. Uh, we had it catered a few times. That place is ridiculously good. Yeah, we were able to sneak out there once before we had to. We got out to Jersey. That place was awesome. Yeah, really like that spot. Really like that spot. How about you, man? You got any questions for me about pro hockey before? Uh, I want to be respectful of your time today, and this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the show. But I also uh, any hockey questions you got? I want to know. We can do like, this on yours too. Yeah, I want to know, like, from a physical standpoint, like, what is, what is the thing that you're training for most? Like, is it? Are you training mostly for endurance? Is it like a mixture of endurance, explosiveness? Like, you guys have to do so many movements, and your legs have to be so ripped up. I just like, what kind of a program are you on for that? My legs are big. My legs are on the bigger side, even for the sport. In a in a sport of big butts, I think I've you know, might be league leading. Um, most of your off ice work is like pelvis work, like trying to make sure that everything tissue wise around there is healthy enough. If it's healthy enough, you'll do more explosive work because a lot of our practices are a little bit more steady state, uh, endurance based, you know, where you're maybe not moving as violently as you would come game time and that kind of thing. So in the summer, you're really trying to become a more freakish athlete. You know, there's a good correlation between the elasticity off ice and, you know, sort of on ice skating speed. There is a a huge technique factor. Um, So I would say every summer it's skill work and speed. That's what pays in the game. Uh, That's what keeps you, you know, in the league versus in season. There's a ton of um, like read work. Like how, how can I, you know, become a smarter player more positionally how can I become more poised? And that's where a little bit of the experience element comes in and a little bit of just comfortability within your system. Um, so I would say it's a good blend of both. It is interesting, you know, during a season, you're kind of responsible for your own skill. Like, you know, the, the team practice is hard to work on some of the, you know, individual skill work, things that you'd want to keep going from the summer. We train a little bit in season. We probably lift, you know, twice a week, but I mean, it's a 15, 20 minute thing, more of just a priming the system. And we play so much, like you're always playing at a deficit, you know, sleep wise or physically, you're, you're usually pretty hurt. Um, in the off season, like right now I'll train five, six days a week, Monday through Saturday. And I'm on the ice four to six days a week. It'll probably go up to six here. Cause we'll be, we're trying, I think hockey's trying for like a December 15th training camp, January one start. Well, that'll be six weeks out come November one. And that's kind of how long it takes to get into, you know, real games, uh, skating shape. But for me, I think it's mostly like the thing that I try to train is, is top speed. Can you skate it, you know, top six forward, top four level. That's a huge separator. You know, when you look at our highlights every night, it's the Connor McDavid's and, you know, guys that can ski like that, that are studs. And it's such a unique thing. You can't really work on 
in training. Like you really do have to be on the ice to do that. Um, and then really it's just the poise, like all the things that you train. If you're, if you're afraid of when you get out there, if you're nervous when you get out there, like, you know how it is, you can't swing a baseball bat tight. Like yeah, all the flow state goes to hell. Uh, everything you learned is out the window. So it's really an element of there's 25,000 people uh, in the stands. You're on the road. You're out there against, you know, Sidney Crosby, Patrick Kane, whomever are, you know, the stars on the other team. Your t- the other team has last changed, so you're kind of stuck out there. Your coach is doing everything they can to get the right matchup out there, but it comes down to me. Like I gotta, I gotta stay out here for the shift, you know, and 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 make a play to exit. So it's really, it's a game of great poise and great skill, and you know that's why I love it. And you know, it really is. I don't know, man. It's so mental and physical. It's so much. There's such a toughness element but it really is so skilled at this point at, at this height of the game. And so I'm going to get more skilled. Like the kids that are coming up now, they, they just train so often for sport. The game's going to be so skilled and so fast in a hurry. I don't know. I think, I, I think know. it's we'll just see. incredible. I think it's incredible to watch you guys at the speed that you perform at for the length of time that you do and to do it on ice with uh, a stick and a puck and the game is so fast. It's just like when you see it in person, it's like, you guys are just flying the entire time and with no letdown. It's ridiculous. It's insane how fast it is. And and what's a cool experience is I've been hurt a couple of times, unfortunately. Um, But your vestibular system, like your ability to kind of regulate the speed of the game when you're taken out of that, like I've explained it to people. They're like, what's it feel like when you're playing good? It's like, oh, you just, you feel like you're seeing green lights. Like you're, 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 you're skating up the ice. You know, you're, you're not really worried about what the puck's doing. It feels comfortable. It's, it's second nature. You're not like putting any brain space towards thinking about that. And you're just seeing green lights. Like, oh, there's a lane zip. There's a puck play. Like, uh, there's a lane to jump up in green light bang. And all of a sudden you've got this juice to skate and, and join the rush when you're not playing well. It feels like this crane like took you as like a NASCAR and like the game's just like speeding up and faster and faster and faster and faster. And then it like drops you in the game and goes, all right, go. And you're like the road runner where you're moving your feet and you're not going anywhere. Uh, and that's when you really have an appreciation for how fast our game is, is when you leave it. And what's, there's so many nuances, just like baseball where, even as the game starts right after training camp, if you go another 10 games, like the game, the NHL game is so much different. If you go another 20 games, it's even so much faster than it started. If you go all the way to the playoffs, like it's not even the same sport that's played in games one through 10. So it's always ramping up. And even from like the beginning of a game to you know, the end of a game, if say, for example, you're playing, um, you know, another team's high end player. So we'll stick with Crosby just cause he's so well known. So let's say you're playing Sid that night and your ice time's down, you know, so I've played, you know, or, or whoever's played four or five minutes. Well, Sid's already in flow state. His legs are gone. He's played 15 minutes tonight. So he's, and he's feeling it. So he's at a hundred percent of his best. Well, let's say as a depth player, you're 70% as good as Sidney Crosby. 
But now because you're not playing and you're kind of cold, you're only 70% of your 70%. And now you got to go play against him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's a, it's a tough mental game. So, you know, what do you do? Maybe you hit somebody, maybe you, you, you keep it real simple and just, you know, keep pucks up along the wall at first. Uh, maybe you do something to get you going, you know, whatever that is, cross check somebody, get involved with somebody off a draw, like things that get you out of your mind and into that body state where you're just, you're feeling it again. Um, it's a sick sport, man. But it is. this is why that mental, that mental component is so important. Like you have to spend time with it and it's just, it's not popular to do so. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, for us, we're, we have so much downtime to think about the play and think about what's going to happen next. Um, and you're fighting off your, you're fighting off your mental demons during that time. But, uh, you know, in the batter's box, things can really speed up on you and it can happen quick. But I mean, once you guys are on the ice, it's like you have to just react the whole time or else you're it's over. You have to. And I mean, I've been on both sides. I've been, a, I've been in a place in hockey where we call it leash and it's really just how much leash you have in the, within the game. Like how many mistakes can you make and coach will just keep putting you out there. I've been the player where, you know, I'm not playing particularly great early in a game like you, I'm still going to get the shot, you know, where you really wanted to be the everyday player with Rossi. Like I've been that guy where I've got some leash and you can really hit your stride versus I've been the other guy where you're a mistake away from not playing for five, six weeks. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tough spot. You know, you're, you're really, it's, it's, it's tough to, it's hard not to press. Yeah. The, yeah. The mental battle that that's there of going out and trying to perform at, at your best with knowing that a failure in performance means that you don't get to work. Like that's, that's the ultimate, like being able to figure that's out the ultimate. Yeah. Like where you, where you are mentally. So we'll see, man, but I'm, I'm kind of at a pivotal point, you know, in my career where I've, I've been enough of both guy, you know, you got to start to, you got, I want to pick one and yeah. it's obvious which one I want to pick. I want to be the top dog. So, you know, it's, it's, it's time to quit fucking around. <laughs> no, frankly, <laughs> This was great, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Anytime. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. How, and, and good for you getting all your baseball buddies on, all your teammates. Like in hockey, everyone's still sitting on their hands, nervous. And, you know, some guys will come on the podcast, but, you know, it, uh, it's, still, it's still growing. So it's, it's always a work, work in yeah. progress. Yeah, I, it is. And I think just like finding the time for our guys is, was the tough thing. It's like, yeah, yeah you're going to come on on Friday. Like this is the time. You're coming on. Non-negotiable. And you're yeah. coming on. And yeah. you got to keep your commitment. Yeah. All right, man. Ian, this was awesome. Uh, and I hope you're proud of your career. You're an outstanding individual, man. And I think uh, our audience, they'll learn a lot from, you know, sort of your process mentally, physically as a pro. And I can't wait to run into you around Chicago. Ian, where else can people find you, you know, for your own podcast on social media? I know you're pretty, you're, you're pretty easy to find, but uh, what's your handle and, and what's the name of your podcast? Yeah, my social handle, uh, IHAP underscore one is the Twitter and the Instagram. Keep it simple. Um, yeah, it's the Compound Podcast. You know, we're everywhere podcasting is happening. And uh, coffee is coffeeforcovid.com, where you can go and, and, and check out the quarantine coffee and support the uh, COVID relief in Chicago. That's awesome, man. Thanks, Ian. Have a great rest Appreciate of your day, it. man. You too. Outstanding podcast. Wow. First off, thank you to our guest today, Ian Happ. Um, I said it in the intro, really impressed with him uh, as a young professional. You can definitely tell his 
leadership capabilities, his confidence in himself, his ability to, you know, try to solve uh, the problem. And I, or I guess the blessing that is, you know, trying to be the best he wants to be day in, day out as a professional baseball player, such a tough sport with, with so many players through their draft and things like that. So props to him on, you know, his young career and, and his success. And I wish him nothing but the best uh, going further. And I hope to, you know, take his money on a golf course somewhere, uh, you know, in Chicago, when we were able to get out there and follow it up with a, you know, maybe a Bavette's ribeye on him. Um, anyway, three points I want to highlight today that I thought were really cool from our podcast was one, you know, the, the culture in baseball, one, as a, as a young player, shut up and listen, like be a good teammate. You're there to learn. There's a lot of players and, and mentors around you uh, that have had the success and have stuck around the length of time that you want to as a young player. And if you just shut up and listen and, and show up as a, as a humble student of the game, there's so much to be learned. These lessons will be shared. If you want to show up and sort of cocky and, and pretend you know it all, you know, kind of like how I did as a, as a young punk, uh, you know, some of these pros may not be as excited to wrap their arm around you. Second is the power of process. What is success and what is failure? I thought, you know, when Ian shared his discussion around defining success in his mind, uh, that to me was really valuable. And it's something I was even listening to. There was an Instagram post the other day. I was, I followed the Seattle Mariners uh, sports psychologist and he was having a similar conversation with his, you know, the guys on his team and they define success as, or failure rather, Failure is when you leave your process, when you in your right mind develop and decide upon a process that you believe and feel will give you the best opportunity at success. When you leave that, that is failure. And I think Ian hinted a little bit of that today in his own way with his own flavor, but you know, that's definitely something I'll steal from him. And then third was the importance of mental health. It's an investment with it. The ROI is across the board. It's always worth it. Those 20 minutes of stillness post-practice or you know, that little bit of visualization before taking on a tall task, I think can go so far. Uh, and Ian's a shining example of that. So for our guests today, thank you for joining Ian and I look forward to doing it again next week. As we both continue on our quest to become a more curious competitor, please continue to like subscribe, uh, leave comments, share with friends and family. Thank you for doing this this week and every week. I look forward to it uh, every single time. Thank you. <laughs>